Hi, I'm Dave Russell, and welcome back to Brand 2020. This is a series where we continue to investigate the different ways that Japan expresses itself, presents its message, both to people overseas and here internally. Today we're going to talk about a big buzzword in Japanese business. It's actually been a buzzword in global business for quite a while. That's innovation. Everyone's concerned with innovation, with entrepreneurship, with startup companies. It's become a big deal in Japan. So today I have a special guest who's very well versed in this subject, easy to talk to, Mr. Tim Romero. Tim, glad to have you with us. Glad to be here. Tim is officially the CTO of Tepco Ventures, have I got that right? That's right. And as if that's not enough, Tim also runs a, a podcast, right, called Disrupting Japan, which is easily one of the most interesting, most informative podcasts about this economy. If you've never heard it, I strongly recommend it because you're missing something. Don't tune it in right now because we got something better for you. We're going to talk to Tim right now. Tim, let's cut right to the chase. You are a serial entrepreneur, isn't that true? Uh, yeah, uh, I've never... I've never really liked that title much. Um, I but like I've the started... term serial entrepreneur. It sounds like you've been, you've Which, been caught it, but never convicted. I well, respect that. It's more like I'm a parallel entrepreneur. I, I always have like three or four projects going at the same time, and every once in a while, one of them takes off, and I can hire staff and grow the company and eventually sell it. But uh, I've started a number, a number of companies here in Japan over the last 20 years. Uh, I do a bit of investing, some mentoring, and I work with large Japanese companies, TEPCO in particular, mm -hmm. on trying to develop corporate innovation programs. Wow, that's big. When did you do your first company? When did you start? My first company uh, was in 1998. Wow. And it was an e-commerce company. Mm -hmm. uh, grew that one for a couple of years, sold that to Digital Garage. Okay, very good. Well, you've come a long way since then. I mean, uh, TEPCO Ventures, for our, our viewers overseas who don't know, TEPCO is the Tokyo Electric Power Company. It's the largest utility in Japan. It's one of the largest corporations in Japan. And you're running TEPCO Ventures. That must be quite a challenge. Well, I'm, I'm the CTO. I don't, okay. I don't run the ventures. But um, yeah, energy is a fascinating area right now. And I, I think that um, globally, in the next 20 years, we're going to see a tremendous amount of innovation just because... All the incumbents all over the world are looking at a shrinking market. So most people don't realize the energy consumption in Japan and the U.S. in Western Europe is shrinking, mm -hmm. both because of conservation measures and because uh, heavy industrial users are moving overseas. Now add to that with deregulation, as an incumbent, there's only one way your market share can go, right? You know, it's so all these incumbent energy players are looking at a shrinking market and a shrinking market share within that market, and so they need to make changes. Mm -hmm. Well, I would love to dig into a discussion about energy, but let's hold back on that, because what I really want to get from you is your experience. Gosh, you have two decades of experience yeah. here in starting and running companies, in seeing how things have changed, in seeing what's happened, in, especially with the big corporations here, which used to have no interest at all in anything that we would now call innovation, had no interest in startup companies, how have things changed in the startup community here? Well, I, I'd say if you're looking over the last 20 years that I've been involved, uh, 20 years ago there, there was no startup community. Mm -hmm. I mean, there were people starting companies that sort of knew each other, but there was no community. Um, now there is a great deal of venture capital available. All of the universities have entrepreneurship programs. Uh, a lot of the large companies, in fact, all the large companies are trying to reach out and work with startups. And uh, we can dig down on all the little things that changed. 
but it's, it's radically different now than it was 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Because so many people, certainly a lot of foreign observers, and not a few of our locals, especially the f- foreigners here like me and, and quite a number, always criticizing Japan for being too slow, for being behind the curve on a lot of things. And you hear people say very often, oh, Japan doesn't change. Old Japan hands constantly say, ah, there's no change here. What do you say to that? I, yeah, I, I disagree. I, I think you need... There's a difference between change being difficult and change being slow. Mm-hmm. So change is difficult in Japan, but when it happens, it happens incredibly quickly. I mean, historically, during the Meiji era, over 40 right. years, Japan transitioned from being hundreds of years behind technologically, economically, into a, into a major world power. Mm-hmm. Uh, Post-war, if you read what some of the economists were writing about Japan, the the people who were working with the occupation forces, a lot of them thought that Japan would never recover. Yes. Well, even in the 1950s, Japan was officially classified as a third world nation. Right. And what happened 10 years later? Exactly. They became the second largest economy on the planet. Mm. So no nation in the world can change as quickly as Japan, Mm. but it is difficult. Mm. And a lot of pieces sort of need to fit into place, and once that, happen, once that happens, change happens very quickly. Okay, I agree with you on the macro level. Now let's dig down a little bit. What's happening with the corporations? How are they going through this process of change? I, I think right now, Japanese corporations are sort of nibbling at the edges. Mm-hmm. Um, they're experimenting with a lot of different things. So they're doing uh, corporate outreach to partner with startups, mm-hmm. which in, a, in and of itself is new. So 20 years ago, if I wanted to do business with a large corporation, I would have been pushed down through four levels of subcontractors. Right. And right now, it's the opposite. Uh, companies are, are having, companies are starting programs to reach out directly to startups. Um, that said, most of the programs, most of the partnerships are simple things. Uh, they're not affecting their core business yet. I think another kind of promising sign is the changing attitudes towards M&A here in Japan. So traditionally, M&A has always been distressed assets. Uh, When companies were in trouble and another firm could pick up those assets at fire sale values or the government would sort of broker a a bailout. Right. But it always had a very negative connotation with it. That's also starting to change. In what way? Corporate Japan conceptually agrees that M&A is the right way. Uh, Corporate Japan conceptually agrees that M&A is a valid strategy now. Um, They're very active in acquiring companies outside Japan. And we have seen a few important acquisitions here in Japan, Mm -hmm. um, particularly in the newer enterprises. So for example, Rakuten, KDDI, Mm Uh, DNA mm-hmm. are all very acquisitive. Mm-hmm. SoftBank. SoftBank buys a company or two now and then. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I think things are starting to change. Mm-hmm. Now that said, I don't think that Japanese will approach M and A the way America does. Not even not not in the short term. Not ever. Um, the deals I've been seeing have been more of a partnership. Japanese enterprises tend to want to work with startups for a longer period of time rather than the U.S. counterparts, which tend to just target a particular sector, and then we'll make that acquisition. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, You said that a lot of companies are reaching out to startups, trying to actively connect with startups. 
how do they do that and what are they doing and what is their goal? I, I think that the main, a lot of them aren't quite sure what the goal is, quite okay. frankly. That sounds um, Japanese. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of it is driven both by the success of well, particularly U.S. startups mm -hmm. and the financial returns that the investors have seen, but also the Abe administration has been very aggressive in their promotion of startups. Yes. So it's not so much the, the tax plans or the government programs, but having the prime minister up on stage saying startups are the future of Japan, this is the way forward suddenly the CEO of every major corporation in Japan is saying, wait, wait, okay, what is this startup? We should be looking into this. Okay, let me and just play do. devil's advocate for a moment. Okay, so the prime minister gets up there and says, startups are the future of Japan. Okay, he's paying lip service to a buzzword that he knows is popular all over the world and his staff is supplying him with this information. Don't corporate CEOs all say, hey, that's a good buzzword. I'll pay lip service to it too. And don't you get lots of companies talking about innovation and talking about entrepreneurship but not really following through? Oh, absolutely. Or is there something more substantial going on? Well, yes, on both counts. Okay. So, sure, a lot of companies are either by design or by execution just play, paying lip service to innovation and working with startups. But there's also a lot that are very profitably engaging in it. Mm -hmm. And this is happening, happening both on the, the corporate level and on the, the citywide level. So Fukuoka has probably developed the healthiest startup ecosystem in Japan. Wow. Now, it's, it's small, but I'd say it's the healthiest. In what way? Um, it's the only one I think is truly run by the entrepreneurs. Mm. So the initiatives in, say, Osaka are very much led by the government. And there's a lot of good companies there. And the ones in Tokyo are dominated by far by the venture capitalists. And they have a very different flavor. I think that the entrepreneurs themselves have become more front and center in the story mm -hmm. rather than just um, bureaucrats and politicians talking about entrepreneurship. Mm. Well, that is a big change right there. So uh, it sounds like things are changing a little bit. What's changing, you know, digging down here at the entrepreneur level, I mean, that's where you've been, you know, man on the street, you know, dealing with being with a startup company. Uh, it used to be, and I'm sure you know this very well, you go back 20 years, the very idea of starting up a company was terrifying to most Japanese. Most young businessmen who had an opportunity to work in a big company, let's say a big Keidetsu company, or one of the big old Zaibatsu-related companies, get that famous lapel pin up here, it's security for life. Might not have a, a job guaranteed for life, that was a myth, but it certainly felt like that. And so to give that up and go become an entrepreneur was just anathema to most people. And the risk factors were huge. What's happened in the last 20 years? Well, I, th I think that, I mean, th there's no question things have changed. We see uh, a huge number of startup founders coming out of Todai these days. Really? Oh yeah. I'd say, you know, 20 years ago, well, for example, Keio has always been sort of a, an entrepreneurial school. Traditionally, a lot of small businessmen, a lot of company founders have come out of Keio. But uh, judging from the people I speak to, the people who've been on Disrupting Japan, Todai has been by far the university with the most founders coming out of it. Amazing. And I, I think it's, it's not so much the Japanese culture has changed as the risks and rewards have changed. So things like the, the job for life, that doesn't really exist anymore, unless you're working for the government. Um, also, it's not as risky to start a startup as it used to be. 
Mm -hmm. um, 20 years ago, if you wanted to start a company, you had to borrow money. That's right. And bankruptcy laws make it extremely difficult to discharge that debt. Right, and you couldn't borrow it from a bank. There was no venture capital. You basically borrowed for family and friends. Right. Which already limited the scope of any startup you could possibly try. So these days, uh, venture funding is easily available. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people have, a lot of people have taken advantage of that. And it's interesting when I talk with sort of the older entrepreneurs in my show, people who've started companies around 2000 or before, their story is one of struggle and family problems and financial problems. Right. And when I talk with the younger founders, people who've just graduated in the last couple of years, a lot of times they tell me that, well, I had a few million dollars in financing available and people who wanted to help me, so why not? Wow. So there, there's been a real shift that's happened. Right. I, I'm impressed. I'm very impressed. It's causing me to think a lot about it. We might spin off Brand 2020, do an IPO next year. Stay tuned <laughs> for that. No, that's really, I did not realize that things had changed that much. So it sounds like there is ample venture capital, in the, at least in the big cities now. Uh, how much of that is foreign? How much of that is Japanese? I, I, it's overwhelmingly Japanese. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm not sure of the exact breakdown, um, but last year... There was $2.6 billion in venture capital in Japan. Now, in comparison, the United States was a little over $70 billion. Mm -hmm. So if you adjust for GDP or population, you know, it's still about 20 times. Right. But 20 years ago, Japan was a, I mean, venture capital was the classic $0 billion industry. There yep. was none. Exactly. Right? And, and quite frankly, even if there was five times as much venture capital here in Japan, there would be no way to deploy it. Right. So it's the, the venture side is growing maybe a little bit faster than the quality startups, but both sides of the ecosystem are, are growing pretty steadily here. Okay. Tim, you've really given me a lot to think about. I'm enjoying this very much. I'd love to continue this for a couple more hours, but let's, let's move towards wrapping it up. I'm going right. to pull you out. You've, you've done such a great job talking about things you really know well about. Now I'm going to pull you out on the thin ice and ask you what's going to happen down the road. Where are we going in the next 10 years? What's going to happen here with startups, with entrepreneurism, with this lip service versus real uh, interest in entrepreneurial activity? Where's it all going? Well, if we're looking at a 10-year time frame, there's definitely going to be a market correction. Mm -hmm. there, there's going to be a shakeout. But I, I think that the changes we've seen are permanent. Now, they, might not, they, they not, might not be as extreme in the future, but looking at the investment that was happening around 2000, what we saw was a lot of a tremendous amount of money, but it was invested in a very few number of companies. Mm -hmm. And so when the money dried up, those companies dried up. Everything was gone. Today, maybe less money in, in pure yen, but it's invested in a lot more companies and a lot smaller amounts. And these companies are now doing business with each other. And we have a genuine ecosystem. So I think that we'll see a pullback. But I, I think that the way these small venture companies are moving forward are, is going to change Japan. I think that large companies are gonna be increasingly relying on small companies here to function as sort of their outsourced R&D department. Mm -hmm. I think that we are gonna see a, a increasing number of mid-size IPOs, things that are 20 million to 30 million, 
which is small in venture capital terms, but incredibly motivating for people who want to start a company. Right. So I think it's a permanent change. Are we going to see a Japanese unicorn 10 years down the road? Well, we've got two so far. Mm-hmm. We've, we've got Mercari mm-hmm. and we've got Preferred Networks. Mm-hmm. But I, I think measuring, counting unicorns is not really the best way to measure the health of a, a, a innovation ecosystem. Right. Um, but I, I think we are going to see a lot more global startup powerhouses coming out of Japan. Good. Tim, thank you very much. I really enjoy talking about this. I do think this is one of the most interesting and one of the most important topics in Japan today. I'd like to have you back to talk about it some more a little ways down the road. But right now, if you could, maybe tell our viewers just a little bit about your podcast. I already told them it's one of the most interesting I've ever heard out there. This is one of the really key insights into what's going on in the Japanese economy today. Could you tell people a little bit about Disrupting Japan and where they can find it and what they might find there? Sure. DisruptingJapan.com. I started the show about four years ago and just sitting down interviewing startup founders in Japan who were friends of mine. Mm -hmm. And the show's gotten bigger and bigger as interest in Japanese innovation and startups has increased. And every week we sit down with a Japanese CEO or startup founder and talk in English not so much about their specific company, but what it's like to grow a business in Japan, what it's like to sell to large companies as a little company, what, how they managed to convince their wife it was a good idea to let them quit Mitsubishi and start this crazy startup. These are the important stories. You'd be amazed how much that comes up. Yep. Um, but please, come if you're interested in Japanese innovation, check out DisruptingJapan.com. Thank you very much. You know, we're all big fans. I'm sure a lot of our viewers want to be too. The moral of the story, Japan is changing. You want to find out more? Stay tuned.